the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good afternoon, Southern California. You are listening to Southern California Live here on 99.5 KKLA. And I'm your host, Ed Carlson. Thank you again for allowing me into your day. We had an incredible first hour. Hope you were listening. If not, you can go back later. Go on to KKLA.com. You can hear the podcast of the first hour with Christina Bennett uh, from LiveAction.org. What an incredible, incredible uh, show, first hour we had. But we want to hear from you as well in this hour, so give us a call at 888-52-TALKS. That's 888-52-TALKS, T-A-L-K-S. We want to hear uh, from you. Well, the topic of homosexuality, as we roll into the second hour, (laughs) just roll into it like it's not a big deal, but that's a big topic. But this topic of homosexuality and the Bible's response to it is too important. And the nuance is really too unique to think that listening to one message or even one series or one even radio segment on this topic is all that will ever need to have an accurate biblical perspective and biblical response to this controversial issue. So this hour, we want to look at what the Bible's response to homosexuality is. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter what I think, what you think. It's really, if we're followers of Christ, what does God say about it? And we know that the Bible is what should shape our values and our worldview, if you are a Jesus follower. But today, I want to look at this piece of the issue as well, the church's response to homosexuality. Um. It's my opinion that the church has missed a boat on both extreme sides of this argument. There's some, also some movement in the middle of this, but uh, we've missed a boat at times on, on both extreme sides of this argument. Here's what I mean by that. Uh, we have those that affirm the lifestyle wholeheartedly and celebrate it, a, a view that I would term as not biblical, uh, and are militaristic in their view and intolerant of anyone who thinks differently. Uh, and then there's those that we, we have those that disagree with the lifestyle, but show no love, kindness, or grace to an individual who disagrees with them, or worse yet, to those that are struggling with their same-sex attraction. And both, really, in my opinion, are unbiblical. Um, and the debates about gender and sexuality are not going away. Uh, I, I think many times, uh, and I can speak for uh, pastors because I, I am one and, and, and I've been one for a long time, as well as within the church, I think many times things come in our come up in our culture and um, they come up and we think that perhaps maybe they're going to go away or maybe um, they're just trendy or maybe, you know, so therefore we're not going to talk about them. Or maybe we'll just kind of be quiet about them and hopefully they go away. But here's the deal. Uh, The debates about gender and sexuality uh, are not going away. Uh, The issues are far too massive. The stakes are too high. Uh, The feeling's too intense for all this just to slip into the night. Now, I I know we can't control uh, the behavior or the attitude of the world. But as a church, the bride of Christ, we should ask ourselves continually, how then should we respond? When I grew up, 
I know that uh, maybe many of your parents said this very same thing, but when I uh, grew up, uh, and I find myself saying it to my own kids at times, it's not what you say, but it's how you say it. Well, what we say, it's kind of that, it's kind of half true. I mean, what we say is important. <laughs> it is about what you say, for sure, because we can either be uh, speaking truth or speaking falsehood. But the other part of that is true. It's not just always about just what you say, it's about how you say it. And I always want to be careful, not only as a pastor, but just a child of God, and we all should be, how do we respond in times where we disagree with somebody, even disagree with them passionately uh, about what the Bible says in an area, and especially in this area of homosexuality, because we're going to have those issues come up more and more and more. And as I said, listen, these debates about gender and sexuality are not going anywhere. Um, they are a huge part of our culture. They're a huge part of uh, what's happening in our world. And, and we don't, and here's the deal. Let me say this on our response. And, and, and we're going to have a special guest um, that's going to be on in just a moment that uh, is just, his story is incredible. I think it's going to bring a lot of uh, knowledge and light to this situation that at times can feel a little dark, that can feel a little muddied, uh, and also going to bring you a lot of hope. Um, but I want to say this, we don't, we don't have the right to throw out the fruit of the spirit as we argue what we know to be a biblical mandate. I want to say that again, we don't have the right to throw out the fruit of the spirit as we argue situations that we know are biblical. You'll you'll never win a soul by shouting people down from your own self-elevated perch. All that being said, however, here's the problem that we have on both sides of the argument. And this is important. And, and I want you to hear this with my heart, uh, because this is not a mean comment. This is just a truth comment. A rant is not an idea. A rant is not an idea and feeling hurt is not an argument. I'm going to say that again. A rant is not an idea. It's a rant. And feeling hurt is not an argument. And we need to, on both sides of this equation, we need to remember that how we make how we make each other feel is not unimportant, though. But but in our in our age of perpetual outrage, we must be clear that offendedness is not proof of the logic or credibility of an argument. These are difficult issues. These are personal issues. Uh, they're life issues for people. These are complicated issues. But we can never chart our ethical course by what feels better. You know, always remember that. This is probably a great thing you can tell your, your teenagers, but a great thing we can tell ourselves as an adult. We can never chart our ethical course by what feels better. But I want to start unpacking this a little bit more, and I want to get right to it because uh, we have an incredible guest that I want to give adequate time to today. Um, his name is Dr. Christopher Yuan, and, and Christopher Yuan... Um, has taught uh, the Bible at Moody Bible Institute for over 10 years, and his speaking ministry on faith and sexuality has reached five continents. He speaks at conferences on college campuses and in churches. He has co-authored with his mother, which I think is a great story. He co-authored this book with his mom, their memoir called Out of a Far Country, A Gay Son's Journey to God, A Broken Mother's Search for Hope, and 100,000 copies sold and now in seven languages. That's just so incredible, so awesome. He is also the author of Giving a Voice to the Voiceless. Christopher graduated from Moody Bible Institute in 2005 and received a master's in biblical exegesis in 2007 
and a doctorate of ministry in 2014. Dr. Yuan's newest book, Holy Sexuality in the Gospel, Sex, Desire, and Relationships Shaped by God's Grand Story, was named 2020 Book of the Year for Social Issues by Outreach Magazine. He has been interviewed in many media outlets, including Christianity Today, In the Market with Janet, Janet Parshall, The Eric Metaxas Show, and The Christian Post. And we are honored to have him with us here today. Christopher, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me on, Ed. Man, I, I you know I read your I read your bio, man, and I I just feel less and less smart every single time I read it. I really do. I, I <laughs> unbelievable. So oh, so good, so good. Well, I, I want to get right. Only the grace of God. Amen, amen. Well, I want to get right to it uh, because this topic is so robust and, and uh, at times can be very nuanced. Uh, so, Chris, so when I read an article on your book uh, on on your book that had this headline, it said former gay agnostic turned Bible professor offers thoughtful and practical guides for biblical sexuality and godly living. I was like, I have to have this guy on this show <laughs> and, and, and allow our audience to hear your story and your take on such a controversial topic. So I just want to get right to it. For those who are unfamiliar with your personal story, can you just give us a brief overview of how you came to faith in Christ and, and what happened? Yeah, you know, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. Um, I wrestled with my um, uh, actually, I I wrestled with my sexuality from a from a young age. I'm from Chicago area, and um, you know I'm uh, back then. I, you know the, the, there weren't many Asians there, and uh, so I was picked on for that. I was picked on for not uh, not being good at sports, and uh, you know enjoying the arts, and. Um, you know, but I wrestled with my sexuality from a young age. Actually, it was nine years old that I realized that I had these attractions to the same sex. Um, it was after I came across pornography at a friend's house. But I was too afraid to tell anyone. I kept those feelings hidden through high school, college, even the Marine Corps Reserves. Hmm. And, um, you know, it wasn't until, uh, you know, actually it was until my early 20s when I moved from Chicago to Louisville, Kentucky, where I was pursuing my doctorate in dentistry, and I came out of the closet, and, um, you know, I I just announced that to my parents. Hmm. And, you know, you know, after that, I, you know, I, the, the typical kind of response, my, my mom, and she's, She's, uh, yeah, I don't know if you've heard of the nickname, uh, you know, Tiger Mom. You know, a lot of agents, <laughs> they kind of try to control the situation yes, and, yes, and yes. fix it. And so she actually gave me an ultimatum, and she said, you got to choose, either choose the family or choose this. And, I mean, for me, this was obviously what I, what I really believed at that time was this is who I am. And if you can't accept me, I've got no other choice but to leave. So I... Um, you know, I just, I went back to Louisville and I was like, fine, whatever. Well, amazingly, through that crisis, Ed, my mother came to faith and then my father did as well. Wow. Well, I went the total opposite direction, wanted nothing to do with Christianity, nothing to do with, you know, their, what I saw as, you know, their silly newfound religion. And I just began um, doing all, what all my other friends were doing, and that was just have fun, party it up. I mean, if there is no God... You might as well have fun. And uh, so just like all my other classmates, they were going out on the weekends, going out to the bars, going out to the clubs, and I was also going out to the gay clubs. 
Um, and I spent most of my free time there, um, went from relationship to relationship, seeking intimacy and happiness. And I, I also began experimenting with drugs. And I, and I usually need to kind of pause here because sometimes people misunderstand that I'm trying to say that all gay men somehow are promiscuous or do drugs. No, that's just not true. Of course, some do, yeah. some do not. Uh, but I'm, I'm really, I just want to tell my story and, and tell you, uh, you know, that even, you know, that my story, this is, this is the interesting thing that I, I really want people to hear. My story is not about uh, a man who is gay and now he's a Bible professor. That's not even my main story. This is my story. I once was lost and now I'm found. I once did not believe and now I believe in the only thing that really matters and that is believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and that really is my testimony. Um, I was blind and now I see. But I began experimenting with drugs, and um, I started selling drugs just to support my habit. Um, and eventually I was actually expelled from dental school wow. just three months before I was to receive my doctorate. So I moved from uh, then from Louisville to Atlanta, Georgia, and there I kept doing what I knew how to do best, which is have fun, party. And I became not just a drug dealer, but a supplier to other dealers in over a dozen states. And mm. um, in addition, it was nothing made of multiple anonymous sexual encounters each and every day. So I, my parents, they tried to reach out to the love of Christ. I wanted nothing to do with it. They came to visit me one time in Atlanta, and I told them to get out. It, and, you know, and the funny thing is they, they weren't preaching at me or telling me I was living in sin. I knew what they believed, but just the fact that God had so radically transformed their lives that they radiated Christ, that was offensive to me, and I told them to leave. Mm. I didn't even give, give them an opportunity to call up the friend to pick them up. But before my dad left, he wanted to give me his Bible, and I told my dad, I don't want your Bible. I was, I was really <laughs> angry. He left it on my kitchen counter anyway, walked out the door, and as soon as I left, I took my dad's Bible, and I threw it in the trash can. I wanted nothing to do with God, and certainly nothing to do with the Bible. And, and it was so obvious to my parents that I was hopeless. But my parents committed not to focus upon hopelessness, but upon the promises of God. So good. And along with over a hundred prayer warriors from their church, from their Bible study fellowship group, they began to cry out to God for me. My mom began to pray a bold prayer. God, do whatever it takes. Oh, that's so good. Whatever it takes. That's that's a scary yes, it is. but dangerous prayer <laughs> for a mother to, for a Chinese mother to make. But she was desperate. She prayed for a miracle. Well this Miracle came, and she, you know she fasted every Monday for seven years, and once fasted thirty-nine days on my behalf. Wow! And she would um, spend hours in her prayer closet reading the Bible, interceding for me, for many others. She prayed for that miracle, and that miracle came with a bang on my door. Open up my door, and on my doorstep were twelve federal drug enforcement agents, Atlanta <laughs> police, and two big German Shepherd dogs. Yeah. I just received a large shipment of drugs, not my largest but they confiscated my money, my drugs, and I was charged with the equivalent of 9.1 tons of marijuana. Oh, well, uh, goodbye you know, for you. Is, which is now legal in some states, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I was, I was facing 10 years yeah. to life in federal prison. I'd started with a bright future among society's finest in academia, and I found myself in the ditch among society's despised in Atlanta City Center. 
So I tried calling home. I mean, who wants to call home from mm. prison? Well, my mom's first words were, are you okay? No condemnation, just words of unconditional love and grace. A few days later, I was walking around the cell block, passed by this garbage can, and I'm like, this is my life. I've trashed my life. I was about to pass it by. Something on top of the trash caught my eye. I bent over, picked it up, and it was a Gideon's New Testament. No way. Wow. Took it back in my cell, began reading it. And, you know, at, you know, everyone says, oh, it's good news, but it was convicting me. It was telling me I'm, I'm a sinner. Well, Chris, I, this is amazing. Just real quick, worse. this is real quick. You threw a Bible in the trash prior to prior to prison, correct? That's right. And now you found one in the trash. That's that's how God works. God's sovereignty <laughs> and His humor, yeah. yes, and His irony. So I, I, you know, and I began reading it to convict me, and and I'm, you know, people are like, oh, you know, the Bible is good news. I'm like, it's calling me a sinner. I'm like, how is this good news? Well, things got worse. I was called to the nurse's office, and she gave me the news that I was HIV positive. So a few days after that, I was laying in my cell. Um, I was actually all by myself in in this prison cell. I looked up at the metal bunk above me, and there was graffiti, profanity, gang symbols. But somebody had written something else in the corner, and it read, If you're bored, read Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Praise the Lord. I mean, there could have been any verse on that bunk, but God used that very verse to tell me that Regardless of who I was and what I'd done in my past, if God could have a plan for Israel, this rebellious nation in exile, he could have a plan for me. That's a good word. That's right. I had no clue where that plan was going to take me, but God gave me enough faith and enough strength to get through that one day, the next, and the next. So my transformation was gradual. God was convicting me of my idols, which were many, but the most obvious was drugs. When a few months, God delivered me from that addiction. God reminded other idols, and there was this one thing that I felt like I just couldn't let go of. It was my sexuality. I was reading through the Bible, and it was so clear to me that God loved me unconditionally. But I came across passages during the Old Testament, during the New, that seemed to condemn that core part of who I thought I was. So I went to a chaplain, and I asked him his opinion. And to my surprise, this chaplain actually told me, get this, Ed, he actually told me the Bible does not condemn homosexuality, and he even gave me a book explaining that view. With much curiosity, I took that book in the hopes of finding justification, biblical justification for homosexuality. I had that book in one hand and the Bible in the other, and from a purely human perspective, I had every reason in the world to accept what that book is claiming to justify the way I had been living. But God's indwelling Holy Spirit convicted me that those assertions were a clear distortion of God and His Word. I couldn't even finish that book. Gave it back to the chaplain, which meant I turned to the Bible alone. I went through every verse, every chapter, every page of Scripture looking for justification, anything that would bless a monogamous same-sex relationship. I couldn't find 
Okay, so Chris, I want to. So that was a turning point. Yeah, I want to stop right there because we're going to go to a break. Because and this is a powerful, powerful part of your story. I want us to stop right there, and when we come back, we're going to reset it right there because I think those those last few sentences that you just said and where you're going with this, because I know your story is powerful, especially for those that are listening. So when we come back, we're going to talk about that. I want to hear that part of your story. We're going to continue on that. Then we've got some other questions that I I want to throw your way, Chris, that I think are very big questions in this arena. We also have some calls that are going to come up. So guys, we're just getting started. If uh, you're just tuning in, this is Ed Carlson. We're talking with Dr. Christopher Yuan, and uh, we're going to be taking your calls at 888-52-TALKS. That's 888-52-TALKS. So give us a call right now. What an incredible first segment with my friend Christopher Yuan, and uh, we're going to be right back with Southern California Live. This is Ed Carlson, and we'll see you just in a few moments. So how does the love of God, as demonstrated in the gospel, inform how we share Christ to those in the gay community around us? Well, I think at first we need to recognize um, how the world right now is emphasizing love. You've probably heard the phrase, God is love. And that is so important. Yes, God is love, but that's not all God is. And we also need to recognize, well, is there a difference between maybe a secular understanding of love, in other words, just kind of be and let be. And is that different from God's understanding of love that says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that love also means, Romans 5, that he loved us not when we were good and not when we were in agreement with him, but actually while we were still weak, while we were still sinners, why we were even enemies. And so it's that understanding of love that love doesn't mean agreement, Love doesn't mean that we have to uh, come in line with our uh, political positions or even our uh, agreement on what is right or wrong, but love is transcendent above all of this that holds fast between grace and truth. Sometimes we dichotomize between uh, love and truth, and I think that's actually wrong. There is no love apart from truth, 1 Corinthians 13, that love rejoices in truth. So actually, love, I think, is the full embodiment of being full of grace, full of truth, as Jesus came, John 1, 14. That was an audio clip of our special guest, Christopher Yuan, speaking on the importance of understanding and exhibiting God's version of love in this world, and especially as we connect with those that are a part of the homosexual community. This is Ed Carlson, and you are listening to Southern California Live here on KKLA. Uh, we have been talking with Dr. Christopher Yuan, author of the book Holy Sexuality, and we have been discussing his radical transformation in life that happened through Christ, as well as discussing what, what, as discussing what the Bible says about homosexuality, or perhaps even a better question, as Christopher has posed in the title of his book, what does the Bible say about holy sexuality? So we're going to be uh, still taking your calls and, and your questions this segment, so please give us a call at 888-52-TALKS. That's 888-52-TALKS. Christopher, right before uh, we went to the last break, you were talking about, and you're transitioning into, you just got a Bible, you're in prison, you got this Bible out of the trash can, and all of a sudden, God just began to do some incredible work. If you could just, in the next couple of minutes, kind of tell us how that all came about. Yeah, so, you know... Before the break, I was I was looking through scripture to find anything that any verse that might bless a monogamous same sex relationship. But the whole Bible couldn't find any, so I was at this turning point 
either abandon God in his word, live as a gay man, pursue a monogamous same-sex relationship, and this is important, by allowing my attractions, by allowing my sexual attractions to dictate not only who I was, but also how I lived. Mm. Or abandon pursuing a monogamous same-sex relationship. How? By freeing myself from my sexuality, by not allowing my desires to control who I am, and live as a follower of Jesus Christ. My decision was clear and obvious. Mm. I followed Jesus. And as the days and the weeks of, and the months of abstinence passed, I realized that my sexuality should not be the core of who I am. I told myself before, God loves me unconditionally. That's true. But don't we have sinners like to add to God's truth? I added, so therefore he doesn't want me to change. But after reading Scripture, I realized that unconditional love is not the same thing as unconditional approval of my behavior. That's good. And that's important. Unconditional love is not the same thing as unconditional approval of my behavior. My identity should not be defined by my sexuality. My identity should be grounded in my what I'm tempted to. My identity is not gay, is not ex-gay. It's not even heterosexual for that matter, because my identity as a child of the living God must be in Jesus Christ alone. And is that what God you, says, be holy, for I am holy. Amen. Is that what you and kind of put I, in your, your identity? The, is that kind of in your book? I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I, I, that there, there's this term that I have right here that just really stood out to me, and, and I think that's kind of where you're going. It, you relate identity with an important theological term called theological anthropology. Yeah. That's a big word, but, but unpack that for us a little bit. Yeah, so theological anthropology, you know, it's, the, the reality is we have put our identity in the wrong thing. And, and, yes. And that's why people say, I am gay, I am straight. But that should not be who we are, but how we are. And so theological anthropology actually tells us uh, who we are. We're created in God's image. But also, we are fallen. So when people say, and this is from birth, we're fallen. From birth, we're created in God's image. So when people say, well, I've been this way for as long as I remember. Well, we've been sinners for as long as we remember. So, you know, but we're also creating God's image. So which is it? We can't just automatically say, well, I've been this way for as long as I remember. So therefore, this is bad logic. Therefore, it's right. Well, no, because like I said, we're, we're sinners uh, by nature from birth. And so theological anthropology helps us to better understand that, yes, every human being is created in God's image, so that means we're, we have value and dignity, but we're also, every one of us, every human being is fallen. And um, with that context, uh, it really helps us to understand uh, who we are in Christ. Yeah, amen, amen. Now, now you wrote a book called uh, Holy Sexuality in the Gospel. Now, yeah. First of all, the the I love the title, uh, but can you explain this term, holy sexuality? How, how did you come up with the term, and what does it mean, and, and what do you mean by God's grand story, and, and how does this shape our understanding of sexuality? Yeah, so the subtitle um, is, you know, it's holy sexuality in the gospel, sex, desire, and relationships shaped by God's grand story. Now, yeah. God's grand story is essentially uh, the redemptive arc of God working in his people, and so it's creation, fall, redemption, and consummation, you know, kind of end times, um, you know, when we're going to be with him in eternity. And keeping that framework, um, God's narrative, 
keeping that in mind helps us to better understand sexuality. And uh, so I, I think oftentimes we uh, look at the different biblical passages in Scripture that address homosexuality. They're important. But then we sometimes forget to stand back and look at um, all of Scripture to see what does all of Scripture, and specifically the redemptive arc of Scripture, creation, fall, redemption, consummation, help me to better understand myself, my loved ones and friends in the LGBT community, um, Christian sisters and brothers who might be fighting same-sex temptations. And so that, that really helps us to better understand our desires, our temptations, uh, a, a better understanding of marriage, even singleness. So I, I think that that was something that was missing in the conversation as we look importantly at the pa- passages, but aren't looking at um, uh, sexuality in light of God's grand story. Yeah, I, I've got I've got like two or three like questions that I know are going to take some time, and I and we have about a few minutes left before we have to go to another break. So I'm just going to give you this question, just kind of in a synopsis, a uh, couple minutes, answer this for me. Uh, you know, you talk about this, uh, you know, holy sexuality and, and theological anthropology, and, and, and you did a great job explaining that. What are the negative consequences, though, of getting that wrong? A lot of people are getting that wrong in their life. What are the negative consequences mm-hmm. of that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, so there's a few things. I mean, one, you get those people that are um, like the arrogant condemners, and they look down their nose at those gay people. Well, and these are Christians who are actually forgetting that every human being is created in God's image, but by the grace of God go I. So that's one. Another one is uh, making the, you know, it's, it's putting it in the wrong category, that sexuality is, you know, a part of who I am. But we, we realize that actually we're not put in categories according to our sexual desires or any desire for that matter. Um, and so, you know, these categories of gay, straight, bi are really false categories. Yes. that we shouldn't be using. Another one is diagnosing this incorrectly and treating this more as a an issue of our childhood or childhood upbringing. Not that those things can influence us, but influences are not causes. That's good. That's there's good. only one root cause for same-sex sexual behavior. There's Actually, there's only one root cause for any type of sinful behavior, and it's our sin nature. Mm. And unfortunately, when we try to bl- place the blame on, on our past, which ends up placing the blame on, you know, our, on others, we're not really blaming, putting the blame squarely on who it's supposed to be, and it's ourselves, mm-hmm. which really then gets to the core issue, because if that is the true problem, which it is, our sin nature, then Scripture has already provided that answer, which is Jesus Christ. And I know that sounds mm-hmm. really simplistic, but... Doesn't salvation also seem really simple? You don't have to do anything. Christ already died for you. In the same way, sanctification, uh, like salvation, is not works righteousness, Amen. but it is, uh, you know, dependent on Christ. So, you know, th- those are a couple things. And then, and then just one, real quick, lastly, it answers the born gate question. People say, well, I'm born this way. Well, we're all born sinners. And Jesus provides that answer that though we're born sinners, you know, with theological anthropology, we're all sinners. Jesus says that you must be born again. Whether mm. you think you're born an alcoholic, born a liar, cheater, you must be born again. Amen. Great response. Well, we have one more segment after the break with Christopher Yuan. We still have time for your call, so give us a call at 888-52-TALKS. That's 888-52-TALKS. This is Ed Carlson, and you're listening to Southern California Live here on KKLA.
Welcome back, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Southern California Live today here on KKLA. What an incredible show we've had uh, today. And here in our second hour with guest Christopher Yuan, uh, spent this entire second hour with us as we have been tackling the topic of homosexuality and a biblical response to it. Um, Christopher, one of the things that has become difficult at times, especially for the follower of Christ who doesn't believe in the homosexual ideology is, is how do you deal with the segment of that culture that at times can be very militaristic in their views and even in their treatment of those who disagree with them? And I, I know it goes both ways. And so, but, but at least for the, I'm speaking now for the Christian who comes in contact with somebody that is, you know, and we talked about it uh, earlier this week, this happens to talk to us. How do you, what do we do with that? Well, I mean, you know, I, I think it's it's realizing that um, oftentimes it's it's not a, a big like you say, you know, it's, it is not a big segment of the gay community, uh, but it seems like people are kind of getting angrier and angrier, yeah. even those not who don't identify as LGBTQ plus, you know, as, as that, the outfit suit and the acronyms kind of keeps growing and growing and growing. Um, but, you know, I found that actually, um, you know, even though I am on social media, uh, but I, I don't actually engage that much on social media because, uh, you know, being face to face with another human being brings, you know, just the, how people are just more humane. <laughs> They're, it's talking to a real person as opposed to. Um, kind of picking a fight on social media is, is easy. In addition, um, activists oftentimes like to go in groups because there's this mob mentality. Yeah. So I, I actually think it's best, and I try to do this you know, as much as I can, is that I just try to engage people just one-on-one and say, I'd love to hear. And this is you know, a good lesson for Christians who, who might in the workplace or whatever. You know, people might call us out in front of everyone else, and I just don't. I allow to, I get it, being, having been on the other side of being an unbeliever, um, I, I understand where Christianity just seems silly, because you don't have the mind of Christ. I mean, yeah. it, you know, there's just, the world is so convinced there is no God, so it makes it foolish to think that, why would you believe in anything, a book that's written so long ago? So I just try to engage with others, and sometimes just listen to their story. Listening doesn't mean that you're in agreement just means you're listening. I mean, yeah. if we want other people to listen to us, you know, we need to listen to them. And so that's yeah. that's usually one way, uh, you know, just trying to deal one-on-one with, with people so that, you know, I, we have the opportunity then to be able to share Christ with them and, and to share the gospel. That's with great them. advice. Great advice. Well, we want to, Christopher, we want to uh, take a call real quick. We've got uh, Renee uh, from L.A. Uh, Renee, are you there? Hi, hey, Renee. I'm here. Hi, what question do you got for uh, Christopher today? Hi, so um, if we have, I mean, I'm a new believer, but having um, gay loved ones in our lives, how would you suggest where to kind of approach them, bring up the topic of, because it is very heavy, it's a very, as we all know, but um, having recently found um, the Holy Spirit and God, it's just kind of a whole learning curve, learning curve for me. So how would you suggest we go about um, those loved ones in our lives who identify as gay and 
Um, yeah. Not trying to convert, think, but know, trying to maybe. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I think it's most important. Like I often tell people, you know, my biggest sin actually wasn't being in same-sex relationships. It was sinful, but not my biggest sin. My biggest sin was unbelief. So where, whereas the world and maybe even your loved ones who are identifying as gay, where they, you know, know you're a Christian and they, you know, if they ever have time to engage with you on this topic, they want to corner you and think, you know, do you think this is sinful and, and talk about it in that way? And what do you, when you're, what are your views on this? Do you think I'm going to hell? Well, even if I were to convince them and, or my loved one that uh, same-sex relationships are sinful, even if I did that, if they don't know Christ, they're still lost. That's the same case with me. And so ultimately, what's more important is having conversations that do lead to salvation, that's talking about God and Jesus Christ, because how can anyone, this is, you know, even thinking broadly, not just on same-sex, you know, same-sex relationships or homosexuality, how can anyone walk away from sin if they don't have Christ, if they don't have the Holy Spirit abiding in them? I mean, and that was exactly my case. I didn't you know, just get my life together, stop sinning, and then I become a Christian. It was, um, I believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit abided in me, revealed to me that I was living in sin, and then gave me the power to go and sin no more. And and that's kind of what we need to remind ourselves, is that we're engaging with our loved ones. It's actually, they want to kind of pull us into this debate and, and discuss about sexuality, that's not the biggest issue. The biggest issue is to first talk to them, you know, so sometimes I even suggest, you know, when they think, they try to corner us, right, and they, and they tell us, you think this is sin? Jesus Christ did not answer every question. Actually, most of the times he didn't. One time he was silent. Sometimes he answered a question with a question. Other times he would answer a question, just it was just a different question, because he knew that the question being asked isn't the question of utmost importance. So I think it's okay for us to deflect it to the more important question. We're not avoiding, because, I mean, eventually we'll get to that, but primarily it's talking about, you know, like, I know you don't even believe in God, my friend, or my, you know, my loved one, or cousin, you know, so why does it matter to you right now, you know, what God thinks? What's more important is, let's first talk about the existence of God and um, and His Son, Jesus Christ. Those type of conversations definitely lead to salvation, I think that's the same thing, but... With that being said, sometimes when there's when there's so much uh, let's see tension in the air, uh, sometimes it's just showing people that that we see them as people as well. You know, it's we need to you know as we say, sexuality is not completely you know it's not the core of one's being, but sometimes we make it uh, like their core issue. You know, whereas their core issue is just rejection of Christ. That's really the biggest issue. And making, you know, making that an issue and, uh, I mean, make, putting that on the forefront as opposed to um, that one sinful behavior. For example, if I had a cousin who was sleeping with his girlfriend, I'm not going to keep trying to bring up that, that, you know, him and his girlfriend are living in sin. And that's not at all minimizing their, that, you know, that sin. It's just realizing that my main goal is that, my cousin and his girlfriend would come to know Christ, and I want to seek opportunities to share that gospel as opposed to simply sharing about morality, because morality will never save anyone. Uh, we talk about their being sinners and their, you know, our need for Christ, 
But ultimately, um, those type of conversations are not always exactly the same thing as, as just simply about talking about sexuality. That's good. That's really good. Uh, Renee, thank you so much for that call. What a great question. Uh, Christopher, uh, so I need, like, if you can give me an answer on this on this one question, uh, and then uh, in about in about one minute, because I want to leave some time at the back end here for a couple minutes to talk about your book and how people can get a hold of that, how people can get a hold of you for speaking engagements and books. But here's a question, and it follows up with what what we were just talking about right there, and what, Renee's question. But what about those that profess Christ? Um, that, and I hate to use the kind of the hyphenated Christian, like, you know, conservative Christian or progressive Christian, but there are many, uh, say, progressive folks out there that claim Christ, but say homosexuality is right. We got a a call just a few minutes ago, but they didn't want to come on the air. But the question was, how do we know that God is against homosexuality? I know that's a big, big Mm -hmm. question. One minute, but how could, what would you, how would you answer that? Yeah, well, how do we know? I mean, Scripture is very clear. I mean, I, I did studying, and and um, you know, it's there's six Bible passages. Oftentimes, people like to deconstruct them, and uh, they they often say, "Well, we're looking at context." What we people don't realize there's right context and wrong context. Uh, but ultimately, these six passages are actually tied together. Five of them are all tied to Leviticus 2013. Um, Romans is tied very clearly to Genesis 1. So the key to really any, uh, to proper biblical interpretation overall, is making sure that we use Scripture to interpret Scripture and reading the Bible canonically. That means all 66 books of the Bible are not separate books, but they're unified by the Holy Spirit. But like, if, you know, if someone who can say, oh, I can be gay and I can be Christian, we need to remind ourselves, 70% of Americans, right, Ed? 70% of Americans say they're Christian. Wouldn't that be amazing if that were true? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's not, which means we have our work cut out for us. We as yeah. Christians here in America, though we live in a seemingly very Christian world compared to Europe and everyone everywhere else, China, um, they're the majority even of that 70%, are not born again. I need to look at their lives. If their life, if there is unrepentant sin in their life, well, I need to question. The Holy Spirit's job is to convict us of sin, and if that person isn't feeling convicted, then maybe that Holy Spirit, maybe the Holy Spirit is not abiding in that person. Now, when it comes to is that person saved or not, the issue with that question is we only see things bound by time. That person's story is not over yet. God is still writing that person's story, so we don't know what 10 years from now that could be. And so I think it's less about, is this person going to be saved or in heaven or not? And it's more about, this person is living in sin right now. And whether this person says they're a Christian or not is irrelevant, because as a Christian, we need to be fighting sin and and, 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 and running from temptation. And so our goal, and if they're believing a false gospel, is actually to continue to share the true gospel and be be very, very intentional that we need to live the gospel as we preach the gospel. Amen. Amen. Because it's only through Christ that we can be set free from our sin. Amen. Christopher, I'm going to have you back for sure. we got so much to talk about. you got 15 seconds. How can people get a hold of you and also your resources? Yeah, my name, uh, so it's my full name, ChristopherYuan.com is my website, my two books. Um, my newest one, Holy Sexuality and the Gospel, is on Amazon as well as Out of Our Country. Uh, but people can find me on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, um, and contact me even through my website. Awesome. Christopher, thank you for joining us. We'll talk soon. 
Everybody, thank you so much for joining us today. What a great day. This is Ed Carlson signing off. You're listening to 99.5 KKLA. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.